Aloha and good morning, everybody. I'm Daniela. Good morning. I'm Jamie. Yeah, we are here for a episode of Woman on Fire. And we've got a particular topic for you this morning. Something we're real hot about. Yeah. I think we've been hot about <laughs> it for a few episodes, actually. Maybe a few years. <laughs> well, yes, yes, definitely. Um, at the forefront of our minds often. But it's very relative right now. Relevant because uh, while we're... It's always the- relevant, but it's particularly relevant right now. Uh, yeah, good clarification there. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, well, it's midwifery regulation and licensure. <laughs> In the state of Hawaii. Yes. Uh, It's the middle of the legislative season right now. That's what happens at the beginning of every year. January, all the bills are introduced, and and then it's the review process, and rallying of people, and hearings, etc., etc. And we have a bill. And that's what this bill, uh, this episode is going to be about, just kind of updates where we're at what's the newest information on all that so yes. yeah so yeah so we have um hawaii home birth collective in collaboration with the hawaii um, home birth task force and community members and um, folks who are just interested in protecting some um, basic autonomous practices and private home decisions have crafted Senate Bill 893. And it is, essentially it's amendments to the licensure law that was passed in 2019. Act 32. And so um, we have, we're, we're trying to rally folks who have, again, either chosen to birth at home have friends who've chosen to birth at home, are um, interested in preserving super basic, um, at the moment you're conceived, born, brought into this world, um, autonomous choices, um, diversity in midwifery, um, diversity in education, not just um, this is this is to protect sort of a bigger picture, but it starts with one point. Yeah, ex- exactly right. That's the bigger picture thing. So, like you mentioned, Act Thirty Two, the mi- mandatory midwifery licensure law that went into effect July of twenty twenty. In that act, there was actually a little paragraph written into it that said. We recognize that there's this other category of birth attendants, right? That's the term they use in there, birth attendants, um, not covered by this bill. And we recommend that you guys go create a task force and and go figure out some recommendations about you people (laughs) and statistics and data and then bring it back to us, those recommendations. um, And then, you know, we'll take it from there. Yeah, so, identify yourselves and your scope of practice, mm-hmm. and then we'll find a place for you to fit. Right. So, you know, that paragraph has given a lot of hope in all of this. Like, okay, we will carve out space for midwifery diversity. Um, 
so it's not just about one type of midwife ruling over all others. So that's what SB 893 that is currently introduced into the Senate is about. It, it's addressing that requirement in that paragraph that Hawaii Home Birth Task Force was requested to do. So by law, you know, recommendations were asked for and here they are. Yeah, and we, um, we kind of had one of our um, neighbor island midwives draft a really great, concise um, depiction of what we're really looking at. And so um, it talks about what is a midwife and, and universally, you know, the word midwife is about um, a person who's trained to assist women in childbirth. So it's really general. That's from the Oxford Dictionary. So, um, and then we have to look at then the different categories of midwives and it's real basic. There's, there's, nurse midwives and there's direct entry midwives and nurse midwives um, begin with a nursing degree and they um, largely attend births in the hospital however um, they also attend births out of the hospital so their midwifery degree is actually a graduate it's the science of midwifery um, and then direct entry midwives do not um, come in with a background in nursing and it is largely an apprenticeship model. Um, certified midwives do the same sort of graduate science of midwifery program that nurse midwives do. Um, and then there is the um, apprenticeship model, which is a CPM certificate um, as well. Uh, or it not as well, but is is sort of um, broken down through the more traditional pathway of midwifery, which is um, like a journeyman or uh, an electrician, somebody who who learns hands on with experienced um, providers and and kind of gets taken under a wing. So we, we kind of broke that down too into um, you know, a direct entry midwife, even though there's these two types, there's a nurse midwife and there's a direct entry midwife. All midwives practice the midwifery model of care, which is about um, you know, attending women and having continuity of care and really um, putting them at the forefront of the, um, of the care that's being provided. But direct entry midwives have several different um, layers underneath them. And that could be um, traditional midwives, cultural midwives, certified professional midwives, certified midwives. I mean, there's just so many indigenous midwives, cultural midwives, lay midwives. I mean, we've all heard these terms. Right. And part of what the bill does is define these it's mainly two categories of midwives. It's direct entry midwives and traditional midwives, because that kind of covers, a, you know, direct entry midwives, like you're saying, is a huge umbrella term for uh, many types of midwives that are not necessarily CPMs, although could be CPMs. Um, and just like Act 32, it said birth attendance, part of what this amendment kind of bill uh, 893 is doing is saying, well, we're not just birth attendants. Um, 
and that's actually a problematic term that's very inaccurate because a birth attendant, you know, that that could be someone's sister and mom and partner and the third or a doula or a, <laughs> a birth worker who is like a you know they attend only they do birth photography they uh-huh right a beautiful important amazing part of the birth team but to say that anyone who is not licensed um, and not a CPM and not gone through a MEEC accredited program is now just a birth attendant, even though they've been a midwife for years serving the community. It's like, it's denoting them to something it's very inaccurate. So um, we're trying to rectify that with SB 893 and saying, no, they're not just birth attendants, they're actually midwives. And, and you know, they fit into the, uh, these other categories of midwifery and also trying to reclaim the word midwife. Um, yeah, because Act 32 has basically turned the term midwife into an occupational title as opposed to a general blanket statement for um, lots of different modalities of um, trained attendants. Exactly. Um, which it says a licensed mid or a midwife is only someone licensed under this act. So SB893 is saying actually no, a licensed midwife is the only person that has the ability legally to call themselves a legal or a licensed midwife. But other folks that are midwives can call themselves midwives. They just can't say they're a licensed midwife. So that's the distinction we're trying to make. Because um, midwives have been around long before licensure, long before nurses, and we're trying to honor that. Right? Yeah. The roots of midwifery. We're trying to honor the uh, traditions, the roots, the culture of, you know, all of us um, that have helped us get humanity here to where we're at. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, um, it's, it's too blanket of a term to make it an occupational title is, is kind of what it, what it boils down to. There's, there's many types of midwives. And so um, for the scope of um, Hawaii to narrow it down to only um, through uh, higher education is the only way that you can account for um, your qualifications or your experience is um, it's too narrow. And, and this, this is not just in that realm, but also as far as access. So again, we have to revisit the, the, the point of access. So Act 32 was created in order to expand um, access to midwifery care and, um, and midwifery services as far as like providing and receiving. And so this this law that has been enacted um, basically has has put two thirds of the midwives who have been practicing for some for several decades um, into this gray area until 2023 until we can define what a midwife is, which we've already done and has been done for centuries. Um, so not only that, but it, it disproportionately creates um, access barriers to um, 
you know, socioeconomical issues as far as, you know, um, they're saying that insurance will cover it, but so far we have not seen any recognition. In fact, many of our licensed midwives who there's only, I think, 14 licensed midwives um, across all islands and a few of them aren't even actually, ha don't even actually have an active practice. Um, but they still aren't getting access to ordering labs, ultrasounds, getting medications. And this has been um, in place for nine months now, and they're still running into a lot of barriers. But also there is, um, there's not enough access to the education. Um, there's not enough births to acquire the bare minimum, even if you were choosing an online school program, it would take um, many, many, many years to acquire unless you left the island. And that is, um, that makes an impact not only on those who are trying to seek the care, but those who would like to become midwives. Um, it's very difficult to relocate your whole family in order to get an education. So um, this, this is a big problem um, when we live in one of the most, um, you know, we have, we have extreme wealth in Hawaii and we also have extreme um, low socioeconomical circumstances as well, so. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if the bill did what they said it would do, increase access to midwifery care? Like, that sounds so lovely. Great, let's do that. But the bill has done the total opposite. So it's like they pushed for it, you know, because it made everyone feel good. Like, hey, we're doing something good for the community, right? But actually, it just it's been incredibly detrimental. <laughs> and especially during this time of COVID, uh -huh. when, which none of us could have predicted, but it has actually really um, created a massive barrier because there's a lot of trained midwives who aren't comfortable being in the gray area and therefore they are not um, able to serve people in a um, in an open capacity. Um, we also have, you know, as we explained, the, the barriers to even accessing the educational requirements, but also the fee for a midwifery license in Hawaii is, is $1,500. And um, it's significantly less, $400 to, to $500 for physicians and social workers and, and such. So that is three times higher than, um, than mo and, and we have, and we're only doing 300 births a year for all midwives. So, um, that again, it creates barriers as far as access to care and cost effectiveness. And it's, um, if you only do five births a year and you only charge $1,800, if that's, even if you're taking insurance and insurance is only paying $1,800, I mean, how are you affording the rest of your life? Okay, so Act 32 so far has outlawed two thirds of Hawaii's midwives approximately and increased barriers to even studying this career, this pathway, this life's calling. So uh, we have less midwives and uh, it's harder to become a midwife here. So 
lots of problems that we're trying to address. Um, it is really hard to become a student midwife, period. Um, so with extra barriers, I mean, it's just, ah, you know, we don't have that many midwives as it is, you know, so. And we can't ignore the fact that this bill was over and over again <laughs> denied by the community. Right. Um, people want the diversity of midwives. People want to be able to see the woman who's delivered their other previous children. They've built that relationship and they've built that trust and, and they, they want to bring in whom they feel comfortable with. And that is, I think, one of the saddest and most scarring of this whole scenario is that this, this um, was procured by an educational community and, um, and kind of forced on the community that wasn't looking for it. They, they weren't asking for this and, um, and in fact, straight up denied it like two thirds which is interesting because two-thirds of the midwives can't practice and two-thirds of the community has been in opposition to this for over a decade i mean they first tried to push licensure licensure in the end of the 90s and it ended up getting tabled because it was too complex and cpm certificates had only been being passed out for a couple of years at that point now we're seeing CPMs who are not recertifying because the restrictions have gotten stricter and stricter and stricter um, as well. And they, they're, they're not sure, you know, it's not what they originally signed up for. Yeah, I want to follow that thread of CPM licensure and, and or accreditation and folks that used to maybe agree with it and maybe now don't agree with it and what that's about. So. In short, a big part of it is just it, it, the norm thing or just the accreditation of CPM. From what I hear, it was meant to preserve midwifery diversity. Like, hey, let's honor the different ways of becoming a midwife and the different perspectives of different cultures. And, and let's just celebrate that when coming together, united under the force of CPM. And then over time, it's become homogenized and mainstreamed and highly medicalized. Um, and therein lies a big part of this problem. The reason many CPMs have chosen not to recertify, they no longer agree with um, the CPM ways because uh, of what it's become. It's changed and transformed a lot from what it was originally meant to be about. So that leads me into this conversation of cultural hegemony, which I, I think I've totally read this definition on our episodes before, but it's an important one for me. So it's cultural hegemony. It's the domination of a culturally diverse society by the ruling class, which manipulates the culture of that society, right? In other words, colonization, right? We live in Hawaii. I mean, you hear this all the time, right? There's this conversations of being colonized and decolonizing are very much alive here in ways that they um, sometimes aren't in other places like where I'm 
from Venezuela, you know, we were colonized so long ago that, you know, we don't even really talk about this much anymore. But here it's so beautifully alive. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want to bring that to the forefront of people's minds um, in the context of this conversation. Because sometimes I feel like it's always overlooked or not fully understood how that comes into play here. Like, well, why, why is it it's a good thing to have the licensure? And because to the licensure, at least the way it's written in the law here, means a very specific thing. It means having gone through a MEEC accredited program, which allows you to certify as a CPM. And that is a very particular school of knowledge as in a very particular perspective, right? It's a Western culture perspective and approach to midwifery. It is Western midwifery. It is, in other words, colonized midwifery. And that's not even in the judgmental way. That's just where it's coming from, <laughs> okay? So what's happening is they're coming in and saying, this is the only type of midwifery that is allowed, that is okay, that is good, that is legal. Anything else is outlawed, okay? And that's the problem. It's still pushing the colonizer's agenda. It is still putting Assuming down, that they know better than right. any exactly. other culture that is beneath. Bingo, bingo, right? That's what colonizers did around the world, right? They went into land where natives were, and they said, actually, your medicine, your gods, your dances, your foods, your language, all of it, stop it. It is bad. It is barbaric. It's sinful. Learn our language. Learn our ways. That is the only way to be. If you try to live any other way, you know, perhaps we'll kill you. Or there will be consequences because that's just not allowed. Our way is the only way. And it Look is at our still prison happening. systems. Look at our exactly. <laughs> healthcare systems. Look at, I mean, the, it's largely populated by folks who are not of dominant culture. Exactly. That if you do not fit the bill, you will be persecuted one way or another. Right. So you'll be put in the socioeconomical box, or you will be put into the slot of be. You know, if you if you're not this, then you must obviously. And if you don't sway and if you don't bend to what your colonizer says, then you will pay the consequences. And as we become a global society and we want to celebrate all these cultures and all these things and look at what these different places have to bring, but then we're going to put it all into a box that only this is what's acceptable from your culture mm. and the rest we're going to push away. Right. So... Oh, there's just so much here. It's bigger than birth. So it's much. bigger. <laughs> so much. Well, so here's another thing. A lot of folks um, that are proponents of the mandatory licensure law in Hawaii say, well, you know, traditional practitioners are totally exempt. And you'll hear that and it's everywhere. Like, oh, no, that's not a problem. We did not interfere with traditional practices. And no, we completely exempted them. Well, go talk to traditional practitioners. They will tell you that their so-called attempts of exemptions are not enough. And they kind of wrote something in. Like, if you're Hawaiian, then you can serve Hawaiian people. But you still can't call yourself a midwife. You're just a traditional practitioner. You know, it's very ambiguous. And it 
keeping them in a vacuum of Hawaiian to Hawaiian. Um, well, and just putting it into a different silo in and of itself makes it something else, right? And so it's not mainstream. And so then it, oh, well, maybe I should question that because they're not what culture, popular culture accepts. Mm -hmm. And so then it makes people question even going and looking at an alternative path. Mm -hmm. So it's already deemed lower than just because it is exempt or it has a, ca a separate category. Right. So again, they put something in that makes it sound like they're doing something nice and that they're being culturally sensitive and protecting culture. It's like, oh no, let's see, they wrote it in. But in actuality, it's not really preserving culture. It's still very much so interfering with Hawaiian cultural uh, revitalization, especially with midwifery. So that's insufficient. Um, and that brings us kind of back to the fact that we have been an unlicensed and unregulated state for, for many, many, for, for a few decades now. And um, the, the Home Birth Task Force along with Department of Health, DCCA, ACOG, all these different state-funded um, programs, um, we got together and they, they sat at the table and they really looked at statistics. And, and they're not perfect. They're birth certificate records. They're, they're records that you know um, midwives have, have provided. They are from what menial records we can get from our um, actual hospitals because they are not required to show any statistics. Um, but we cross-referenced and, and it was shown that even with our diverse group of midwives that um, are across our islands. And you know, have been unregulated. <laughs> and have been unregulated that they are actually safe. And um, some of the numbers about that. So, um, they, they look at like abnormal conditions of the newborn, you know, and for hospital assisted ventilation immediately after delivery, 4.9% as opposed to home, which was 3.0. Um, after six hours of delivery, 1%. Um, for home, it's less than 1%. NICU admission for hospital is 4.8 and NICU for home is 1.3. Like we have, um, we had a total of seven newborn transports for the whole year um, in 2018. And, and that, you know, it's appropriate to transport a baby who needs help. So those don't necessarily even need to be looked at as a, as a negative that they were transported. If anything, given our, the, the sort of negative spin on home births, and on our midwifery um, force, that still our midwives are transporting babies accordingly. And that's, that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that we have still a very low transfer rate, um, which is really um, remarkable. So, um, and we also can't forget that some of our locations are hours and hours away from hospitals. So, women who live out in these remote areas, you know, they could end up delivering by themselves, which if that's what they choose, that's fine. But to reduce the access 
to their care for someone who maybe lives an hour away or 45 minutes away as opposed to the hospital, which is hours away, um, is a big issue. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we're kind of trying to look at that of like, you know, we, we've had a large uptick um, in, in people considering home birth after COVID. We have had an extreme decrease in, um, in midwives who qualify for our licensure. You could live in California. You could live, I know I've said this before and probably just the podcast we had right before this, but you know, you could be a practicing midwife in Arizona and all these different other states. And if you did not go through a MEEK accredited school by January 1st, 2020, you don't qualify for Hawaii's license, which makes zero sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you've just reminded me of another regular point or, or whatever point of fire um, in this context right so many licensed midwife people that are licensed throughout the state um, wouldn't actually qualify for a license but licensure here so they couldn't just fly here and serve the community but also um, uh, that can be a problematic piece of depending on other people that do not live in Hawaii that are not Hawaii residents that don't understand the community and know the community and then dynamics and nuances of what it means to be in Hawaii um, to come and serve the Hawaii uh, Hawaii community. Um, there was recently a civil beat article, which I'm not recommending by any means that you go read. Um, I, so skewed. Yes, it was uh, in so many ways that it deserves its own podcast to be broken down. But the only thing I want to address is that there was a sentence in there that said, um, oh, yeah, you know, we have the black and black people and, and Latinos and um, the Hawaiians that, you know, are experiencing all these health disparities and, and we, you know, would benefit so much from midwifery care and they live in these rural parts of the Hawaiian islands and hopefully we can have traveling midwives come serve them. Something like that is what it said. And I, you know, ended up making a comment on the article because if they're suggesting that we depend on traveling midwives to just fly in and come serve these communities that are clearly experiencing health disparities, <laughs> I mean, it just blew my mind that that was even being suggested. That's not what we need. We don't need laws that favor people that don't even live here. And don't understand the culture and mm -hmm. don't, I mean, Hawaii has a very strong reputation of either welcoming you in and absorbing you in or spitting you right out. Yeah. And there is something to that. So mm -hmm. having people just coming in with their own preconceived ideas of living in paradise and what this place is like and da, da, da. And then they get here and it is a very different reality. And so, and that's yeah. that colonization too of like, oh, well, we'll bring our super educated people in from the mainland and then we're going to come and we're going to like tell you what's up. Exactly. Exactly. We need the outsiders to come educate these primitive wild bush people. <laughs> mm 
civilized. Yes. <laughs> That's what's going on. And what, this is so problematic and why we're so fired up about it. And even though it's meant to be a short episode, it's probably not going to be because there's too much to say about it. Well, and if you want those bush people to have care, then allow their community to serve them. Don't make them illegal. Allow their community members to learn from their lineage and from the aunties and from, you know, and instead of saying that this is the only um, justified education, you know, this, that serves the education system. It doesn't serve the population. And if we have learned anything from American obstetrics, we know that the education system is not serving the population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we have massive disparities. We don't practice evidence-based birth. Exactly. Yeah, no, this whole thing, the regulations, the laws, it's all being pushed under... It's just profit over people. Profit, and there's just like plain old biases of like what they like and what they don't like. Like Mm -hmm. that's what it's based on. This isn't based on evidence or statistics. None of it. It's just based on their personal biases that they that just that they just make up. Because right, you know, some people like some things and they don't like other things. It's like I'm gonna outlaw you know, pistachio ice cream, because I think that's kind of a terrible flavor, and only make vanilla available. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, I guess that makes sense to you if you really don't like pistachio ice cream. But there's some people out there that, like, might be straight up allergic to vanilla ice cream and go into anaphylactic shock, and really, they can only handle, you know, other types of ice cream. Anyways, it's just, well, and it goes back to, you know, that civil beat article and saying there was, there, it was very um, slanted, as was the um, information that was given to the public through certain legislators when they were trying to pass this bill, saying that we're having transports every day for home births, but that's impossible because there's 365 days a year and there is about 300 births a year that are in the community and only seven babies are got, got transported, you know? So like, we're not transporting every single person who's choosing to have their babies at home. Um, there, there were, there was a lot of like misleading information that was on the public news. I mean, that, and, and that's why even looking at this Civil Beat article is really, like, how did this person get these names to talk to these people? And why did they not speak to midwives who have the heaviest practices? Why are they speaking to non-home birth midwives? And, um, and, yeah. and even that, like, I mean, misconstruing even their words <laughs> yeah. yep. so it's what was the angle messy. and what was yeah. the point i don't know it's Did misleading people because people must be so confused because as far as the article is concerned I well mean, that's what saying, the oh, laws makers say is people are yeah. confused oh they're confusing people they're saying the law the mandatory licensure laws is actually you know, in favor of the BIPOC community, right? The big buzzword. 
and I read that I'm like, are they for real? Are they really telling people that mandating licensure and outlawing anyone else that chooses to practice midwifery from a different angle other than the colonizer's perspective is for the BIPOC community? Exactly. I it blows my mind. And that's so, exactly what the Maui County Committee and the status of women shot holes in. They said, absolutely not. That is not the truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. For anyone who thinks that this law of licensure was, you know, somehow in support of Hawaiian midwives, you, you got to recognize, or that the exemptions are okay, you got to recognize that when colonizers came to Hawaii, they outlawed Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian religion. Okay? Language. Language, all of it. Absolutely. You read our language, People. you write <laughs> and speak our language, you stop you worship all of our God. All of it, which means stop practicing your Hawaiian ways of midwifery, which, you know, that's what they are called in the Hawaiian language. But they lost a lot of that knowledge, right? Preserved some, but now they're in a position of very much so having to rekindle that connection and hold on to what they did manage to have passed down, but also we learned so much. So we have Hawaiian midwives, and I'm not intending to speak for Hawaiian midwives here by any means, but just generally um, from being in the birth work community, knowing that Hawaiian midwives, you know, you know, they do have to work with other midwives that aren't Hawaiian in order to regrow their Hawaiian wings. So it's not a vacuum of just Hawaiian. <laughs> we do not live in the vacuum here, you know? Um, so if you say that only Hawaiians can work with Hawaiians, you are affecting the Hawaiian community because when colonizers came, you already told them, you can't be Hawaiian. So they lost so much. And they, now they got to build it all back up. And now you're going to put another barrier in their way. And they the have reason- 100 years of not being able to read or write their own language. I mean, that's such a... Right, because some people do say, oh, well, there aren't really Hawaiian practitioners or Hawaiian midwives. Like, well, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's so limited? And so you're going to stand in the way for them to try to rebuild? Right. No. <laughs> and many of, the, many of us all are cross-cultural now. Mm-hmm. So. Right. It's not a vacuum. It's not black and white. It's not clear cut. Um, so there's nuances here. So, so people, that's why. Yeah. Yes. And that's why this bill was created, was to patch some of the holes in the sinking ship of <laughs> midwifery <laughs> licensure in Hawaii, yeah. because it is not clear cut. And the, the original law, um, though we all understand the guise of, of within which it was created, that it is it is one of the most restrictive laws in all of the country. And, um, and so, and because in the law, it says we are supposed to dictate these other practitioners and find a place for them. So Senate Bill 893 does this. It does it very clearly. It removes the exemption end date and it, provides full statistics, actually clear cut based information as opposed to dramatized 
information or planted biased information because everybody is allowed to have an opinion, but opinions are not facts. And so now we have facts that show that in our wildly diverse group of midwives, which are also many of them are very much comrades and support each other and recognize the variances in their types of midwifery and can call on them when they have a more unique scenario. Mm-hmm. But if so, this bill really chooses to protect not just the midwives, but the culture and the the really like where midwifery came from. And the bigger picture of that is being able to make autonomous choices in your private home and not put anybody at risk for being a bad guy Mm -hmm. because they choose something that is not the colonized way. Right. So Act 32 perpetuates colonization. It perpetuates cultural genocide. And SB 893 can help rectify that and make the midwifery regulations in Hawaii more well-rounded and inclusive and supportive of diversity. And supportive of what the community wants. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I mean, I could be like, hey, I think nurse midwives are the only types of valid midwives. And I'm going to push for regulations and laws that say you can only birth with a nurse midwife. Like, isn't that absurd? Or what if I was like, no, you can only birth with an OB. That's the only attendant the law will support. Well, and that's where it is some places. And so women are oh, yeah. like yeah. driving and leaving their towns and or birthing alone or, or birthing with, again, like they're saying, you know, the legislation saying is that people are confused. But if you're forcing midwives to call themselves birth attendants, like then it starts getting really confusing because you're not calling them what they are especially when the community has known them as midwives for 10, for 10 20, 20, 30 years. I mean, one more drop for you guys. So I got, you know, almost 90 births under myself. I, I have the numbers. I just got to finish my classes. And soon I could be a licensed midwife. I could be a licensed midwife in the state by the end of the year. My uh, teacher midwife, one of them, has over 2,000 births. And legally, things like can't call herself a midwife um does that make sense to you do you see the inherent flaws of the system that is in place at the moment by that example i hope you do um because that that just that doesn't add up right it's something that they didn't get quite right with the bill the first time around so this is what we're trying to address because come on really he's not a midwife you sure (laughs) Yeah, pretty pretty sure. Pretty sure she attends like 70 Hello. births a year and there's only 300 in all of the state. Yeah. So <laughs> but she, wrong. she's no longer allowed to identify. She had to change all of her paperwork. She's no longer allowed to identify as a midwife. So, so the law could use some refining, a lot of refining. That's what and we're and some do. honesty. Some accuracy. <laughs> And I think that's a great place to sort of like sign off on this, you know, like that's, that's sort of the exclamation point is that, you know, even if it's not for you, we're not taking away people's choices to have planned C-sections, 
to birth in the hospital, to birth with a nurse midwife, to birth with a profession, certified professional midwife. We're just asking that we recognize that the smaller minority group of people who are choosing something that's alternative doesn't get punished for it. Right, just because some just people with loud voices what, don't like it. <laughs> what, well, right, or what has been taught to us. I mean, we're also trained to be afraid of birth and hate our periods. Yeah. And, you know, um, not talk about certain things. And, you know, I, who does that serve? Yeah, right. We get it. We get why people don't get us <laughs> or, or agree with our ways. That's fine. You don't have to. Yeah. It's not about convincing you to agree. It's just about, if anything, maybe convincing you to agree that we all deserve rights to choose for ourselves. Yeah. Cool. Uh, quick plug in for HIHPC. HIHBC, we are going to do a big membership drive, but you can just join today if you would like. It's a nominal fee of, as a community member, it's only 10 bucks. Um, you can donate more if you want, um, but we are definitely looking to grow our membership. We have a lot of families um, who are interested in preserving and protecting diversity in Hawaii. We have, um, we represent all islands. We have several midwives who, or birth attendants in the meantime, um, who are represented within this community. We have, um, you know, basic structures like peer review and um, opportunities to reach out to neighbor islands when you have a client that may be relocating or um, needing support somewhere else. And it's a really wonderful thing for us to um, really get behind. And yeah, and it's only 10 bucks a year. It's not, it's not too much. And we send, we'll send a few emails throughout the year, but also just as an organization that says, you know, we, we really stand by diversity and we really stand with autonomous practices for um, mothers and babies. Exactly. exactly. Independent choice. Exactly. We stand as a group united in support of birth autonomy and, and we have CNMs and CPMs and we have different kinds of midwives. It's not mm -hmm. just licensed midwives or not licensed midwives. We, it's midwives who support midwives. It's community members who support diversity in that care. So it's not, we, we accept it. We accept them all. Mm -hmm. sure do. Got big arms to hug everyone. Yeah. So... <laughs> So that is Why Homebirth Collective. The website is HIHPC. I'll put that in the show notes. So you guys go check out. We got an Instagram now. Yeah, HIHBC.org. It's super simple to remember. Whitehomebirthcollective.org. And we're growing too. So if there's things that you would be interested in supporting, um, especially, you know, we, we have chiropractors and massage therapists and all these different folks um, that too that we would love to sort of showcase um, everybody's great talents and gifts that we, so we can um, make our community stronger and healthier and um, feel more love. Perfect. All right. Jamie, thank you so much. For yes. Love you so much. This. Love you all. Yeah. Thanks for your time and mm -hmm. energy. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Super grateful for everyone listening. 
Um, oh, and joining. contact your senators. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the important part. Please contact your senators about Senate Bill 893. Um, let them know we need a hearing. We need, um, we need this bill to be heard and passed. And um, the time is now. So um, there's the Health Committee. And so that would be Senator Jarrett um, Col sorry. Keohokaloli. Um, Keohokalo, say it again, please. Keohokalole. Thank you. Jarrett Keohokalole. And he is the senator for um, Kaneohe um, area. And then there is also Senator Ross Baker, and she's the chair. Um, but any of the members, Moriwaki, which is Moiliili and Alamoana area, um, any of the folks that are on the health committee, we need them to please schedule a hearing for Senate mm -hmm. Bill 893. Exactly, that's where we're at. Call them, email them to let them know that this matters and we need the numbers, right? So that they can't ignore it. Yes. <laughs> they so, have to recognize the community is very loud about how important the bill is. Um, get a hearing for it, that's where we're at. That's right, that's right. So if you can, yeah, try to, um, contact them today. I have some, we can put some email addresses in the mm -hmm. show notes too. Totally. And um, it just takes a quick little email or a quick little um, phone, phone call and just leave a message with their staff. They're, they're um, not doing really meetings because of COVID, but please do um, reach out. The time is now. Seize the moment. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm posting this ASAP. I'll have that information for you guys in the show notes. If you, guys, if you guys have questions about trying to understand all of this, because I get it, it can be messy and confusing sometimes, but please email us. We'd be so happy to share more info and try to bring more clarity to this um, big topic. So our email is womenonfirepodcast at, woman at gmail.com. Right? <laughs> yeah, or if you have a story, a story to share or tips or advice yeah, yeah. or anything, you know, we really just want to like love up on the community and, and um, shower each other with the gifts we all have. Absolutely. Yep. So we'd be happy to hear from you all. Thank you for listening, joining us on this wild adventure. Yay. Uh, yeah. All right. I look forward to next time. Thank you. Aloha. Mm -hmm.